Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, what's going on, Bobby? Welcome to the Design Your Life and Business podcast. How are you, man? All good, dude. How are you? Doing fantastic. I know we're going to cover some cool stuff, man. We're going to hop right into it. Marketing, branding, all the stuff is a great topic. You got a little spin on it, so we're going to talk about that. So first question I ask every guest is, who are you? Who is Bobby Steinman? Great question. A little bit of everything, I guess. You know, I've always been super interested in doing a ton of different things, whether it was like playing piano or doing woodworking on the side. So I guess in a word, probably like I'm trying to find that out myself. We all are, man. We all are. Don't worry about it. But woodworking, that's interesting. How'd you get into that? I was just like putting stuff together. It turned into my career as like a computer scientist and engineer. But I always felt like that side's always missing something tangible. You're doing it all on a keyboard and digitally. So even though you feel like a sense of satisfaction when you're done, it's a little bit different than being able to like use the thing that you built every day. That was always like attractive to me. And I just started fiddling with it. And I'm not a good woodworker, but now at least I can put things together. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And you mentioned you put together things digitally for law firms of all people. So all groups. So tell us a little bit more about Mean Pug Digital and why the name Mean Pug first. I'll start with the name. That was easy. I have a pug. My family has like always had pugs. My mom had. So my mom had a pug growing up, Bagel One, and at its demise. And like they obviously I come from a creative family. My mom named her second pug Bagel Two. So Bagel One, Bagel Two. The lineage kept on to my pug, Tiki. So we got a lineage of pugs in the family. Mean pug felt like a natural choice for the company. What do we do? We do a little bit of everything for law firms. So we're big believers in the power of integration and trying to bring cross-functional teams under the same roof. A lot of times in this industry, and I'm sure it's not siloed here, but we see it here, you have specialists who are either very good at branding or they're very good at web design and development or they're very good at SEO, but you're kind of like losing some of the power of synergy when you don't have that all combined and working together. So it, we're basically just like that full service companion and growth for law firms. Absolutely. How many on your team right now is being full service? Yeah. So we're uh, 12 full time in the US. And then we've got basically like an augmentation team in uh, Eastern Europe. So we're six full time there. And then we're 12 full time here. Awesome. How did you get your start in the digital marketing space? I don't know. Like, been doing it for a while. So kind of weird. I actually worked with my co-founder eight years ago. We were at the same ticketing startup together. We were at a little ticketing startup in the city called Ruckus. They got bought out by TickPick. Terrible name for a company. <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't know marketing too well, huh? Yeah, no. The company failed on the marketing side. TickPick with a T. So they got bought out. But I was with Andrew for two and a half years there prior to that buyout. And then we jumped to Morgan & Morgan together, which is like the largest personal injury law firm in the US. They've really just exploded in the past five years or so. I was director of engineering there. Andrew was director of paid digital advertising. 
So we stayed there for three years, kind of like learn the ropes in terms of what legal marketing could be, and then spun off the agency. So long story short, I guess I've been doing marketing for eight years, 10 years or so now, but I've been with Andrew for pretty much that whole time. Nice. Well, that's awesome to have uh, someone you can start the organization with. And then what uh, specifically, why growth marketing? See, that's pretty much what you focus on for law firms. We like doing stuff that works. Growth is what we're all after, right? So I'm not going to lie. Like I used to be a non-believer in branding because you can't measure it, right? How do you measure the success of what you're doing on the branding side today? How can you put like a monetary ROI behind that? But I've like 180'd on that. You know, most of our clients now, they're not coming from direct response campaigns that we're running. They're running from inbound because they understand who we are as a company, like what our values are, what our successes are. And that's all brands. That's all inbound branding. So tell us what growth marketing means. What's some strategies that you employ? That's like a really hard question to answer. Like in terms of strategies we employ, it's easy. We're omni-channel, so we're doing everything from traditional advertising, TV or radio billboard, through to SEO, PPC, paid social, organic social, email marketing, backend marketing, where we're doing stuff on the CRM side to kind of like automate some of the user journey stuff. So like that's all growth, right? That's all growth. In terms of though how we operate, we're believers in doing everything all at once and then trying to find things that stick, right? So do 50 things, find which one's actually working and double down there. So I guess that's kind of like how we approach marketing strategy wise. What's the budget look like to be able to do like 50 things at once? <laughs> I know a lot of the designers are like, how much does that cost? Yeah, man. Well, law firms can be stingy and law firms can be ridiculous in spend. I mean, I'm sure that like this is not unique to law firms, but this industry, you know, we've worked with folks who the budget is in like the one to $2,000 a month range. And we've worked with folks where the budget's in the eighty dollars to $100,000 a month range. So it's a really wide spectrum. I think the only time you run into issues is when the $1,000 a month person thinks they should be getting the $80,000 a month person service. Right. We all run into that, right? <laughs> but that's when you got to know when to keep it real with your client or just let them go. Project managers. Thank God for project managers. So how long do you run those 50 things to find out what's working? Depends on the approach. Something like TV, you can't run TV for a week. That's just like not a buy strategy. So TV, you got to run for six months, eight months, 12 months to understand what works and what doesn't. And even when it doesn't work, is it an issue with like your creative? Is it your buy strategy? Is it like the demos you're going after? Is it your success metrics? So looking at TV is different than looking at something like a paid search strategy. When I look at timeline, roughly, I would say we're looking in like the three to six month range for like a backfilling type of analysis. Um, but again, that's really varied. SEO, you know, three months, six months, something like that. You're looking at PPC, shorter term, brands, who knows, 12 month plus. Absolutely. It takes a while to get that brand awareness, identity, and no like and trust back. So when it comes, you mentioned TV. 
So I see a lot of the lawyers, you know, they have these corny lines and all that stuff. Like, how do you write the copy for the commercials? And then also when you're doing a TV spot, how do you know which channel to put your spot on? Both better questions for my um, co-founder who does all the TV buys, but I'll still answer it as best I can. In terms of writing the creative, we do not specialize in putting together TV creative. Like we don't have videography in-house yet. We don't have, I mean, we kind of have folks who've written script for TV, but it, I wouldn't say it's like core competency. That said, those hokey TV lines work. Tell me you haven't heard the Selena and Barnes jingle. Absolutely, man. It stays in your head and on radio as well. <laughs> yep, it works. But yeah, in terms of like planning the TV by and, you know, what goes into that, all I can say without being like the technical buyer is you're looking for opportunity, right? You're looking for like that opportunity to hit target CPMs. If you can get eyeballs for cheaper than the going rate, you probably should. Oh, and for the listener, CPM, what does that stand for? Super non-intuitive. Cost per million is the cost per a thousand impressions. So how much does it cost for your ad to hit a thousand eyeballs? Gotcha. And then what metrics do you leverage for to make sure that it's working? Because I know, you know, TV probably can get pretty expensive. Yep. In terms of like measurement and seeing that you're actually basically hitting ROI on your buys, it's going to depend if you're doing something digital or traditional. Beautiful thing about digital is closed loop, right? What you're doing on the buy side is going to translate through the user journey and you're going to get to measure what happened on the tail end. Uh, traditional is notoriously difficult that you can Google like traditional attribution or traditional media attribution and just see how many software companies are spun up to try and solve that very problem. There's no short answer to how you measure the result of your traditional media buys on the tail end and see you're generating ROI. You can try onboarding a couple of these solutions. They're usually very expensive, but that's like one option. Another option is just like measure lift, right? Measure branded lift. Folks who see your ad generally, these are not like direct response campaigns. It's not you selling something direct and then like basically searching for that thing direct and transacting. Usually you're going to see branded lift. So you'll run a campaign and you'll be basically measuring What's the lift in people searching for your brand on Google? Yeah, Google is our friend, man. That's the tried and true, right? If you see a move on Google or a spike on Google Trends or something like that, then you know you're doing well. That's one of the things I like to do with my clients is like set up some feeds so we get that TalkWalker alert or Google alert so they get it right to the inbox and we can say, okay, looks like that's working. It kind of correlates to when we started running that campaign. So I'm sure you all do the same. Yeah, exactly. If you're not measuring it, it's not happening. Absolutely. You don't know what successes or failures you're having if you're not looking to measure any of that stuff. So in your experience, what are some of the key elements that you just know are tried and true for what you're doing over there? Yeah, tried and true is a crutch. Um, tried and true 20 years ago doesn't hold tried and true today. I would say the only thing that is like, quote unquote, tried and true, more philosophy than like actionable item is measure what you're doing. So you could figure out what's like working. What is true and then double down? You know, a lot of my clients are like, man, we tried this marketing agency over here and we actually lost traffic. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things I'm seeing is 
these marketing agencies are doing the same thing for every client. They're like, oh, we have this package that we create. And I'm so glad that, you know, Mean Pug doesn't do that because each client is so different. Just because you're working with a certain niche or certain industry, it doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone, right? So I love to see that with the advent of AI and, well, not even advent because it's been around for a while, with the implementation and uptick in the use of AI, are you all using it over there? We got a couple of like tools that we've kind of grown out of some of the AI stuff that's happening, right? It's basically become like a commodity, super easy to onboard AI into your workflow. What we are doing is just like having ChatGPT write our articles because there's some good opportunities to use AI for things like generative imagery, using it for like audio synthesis. Those are a couple of really good uses for AI in a marketer's toolkit. Absolutely. Yeah, mid-journey. You mentioned the generative images. Mid-journey is pretty cool for those types of things, man. So a question that much of the designers listening, they ask, you know, I've had a few marketing CEOs and experts on here, is what's the difference between like, you know, how does someone choose you over someone else? I like what we've done. A lot of award folks like what we do, but I'd be lying if I said I thought we were the right fit for every company. I think a lot of this is about finding the right match. And that match is like a combination of culture fit. It's like a combination of skill fit. Are they going to have the right skills for your firm at a given time? Like some firms, they might really need a lot of video, right? They might need a ton of video to slice up for social media or like general branding for something even more precise. Like they are engaged in a TV buy. They already have a buyer and they just need creative. Or like folks like that, we're not a good fit, right? We can help out when it's kind of a new project and we're working with a firm to do soup to nuts marketing and we're going to be launching or helping them launch traditional media because we're very good at the buy side. But if you're somebody that already has a buyer on traditional media and all you're looking for is the creative to supply that buyer, we wouldn't be the right fit because we don't specialize in putting together video for TV. So somebody tells you there's just like a, an absolute answer for what company is the right fit for your company without doing discovery, then it's probably just sales. That's kind of where sales is. You need discovery. Right. But one of the things I like about your organization is the character. And you guys have a lot of charisma. You can see it in your branding and your website. So, you know, that's something that really, I think, would set you all apart, especially when you think about law firms. Think about boring. Well, your site isn't boring at all. You got the funny pictures with the pug. And I love that, man. I love that you all have, you're true to your brand and the name really sticks out. So I think that's one of the things that the listeners can really leverage is, you know, when you look at that brand, do they align with yours? Do they have maybe a value stance that they take? You know, does their brand speak the way you want your brand to speak? You know, some of those things that you can kind of look at and find like, okay, do is it even worth my time to put an inquiry or have a consultation with this brand? Good point. And like, just to tack on to that, I would say, don't hire somebody who can't do for their brand what they want to do for yours. 100%. If they're going to help you, I'm going to help you with your branding and their brand sucks. How are they going to help you with your brand? 
Absolutely, man. And we see it with a lot of SEO. Like, yeah, I can get you SEO, I can get you on the first page of Google. And you're like, what's your website? What are you ranking for? You know, because SEO is it's a big thing. It's like it's loaded, right? Just because you're on the first page for one thing doesn't mean you're ranking for what you want to rank for. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's loaded. And, and a lot of people are like, oh, how quickly can I get it? Oh, I'll get you there a couple of weeks. And you know, that's it's just not true, right? It's, it's a long game, you know, and Google changes algorithms all the time and no one truly knows what's happening on the back end. I don't even know if Google knows these days. Uh, famously, though, with like the of right brain, that's kind of like the whole fundamental of machine learning models is you're training this thing and you don't necessarily know how it got where it did. Absolutely. So how do you stay up on what's going on and keep your ear to the street, so to speak? I mean, for me, I rely pretty heavily on just like Twitter following. And I like to follow kind of the source. I think there's like value in following influencers, so to speak, on these things, but nothing beats the source. So like following John Mueller, you're just not going to get better information than following, you know, one of the fathers of Google search, following like just GS, like a Google search console directly. So when there's new features introduced or whatever improvements, you're getting the information direct from the publisher. I think that's like pretty invaluable. Outside of that, trade publications. So Search Engine Journal, Moz, SEMrush, Love Hacker News. That's a good one, man. That's that, you know, a background of cybersecurity. So Hacker News is something that I've always followed for a long, long time, man. Yeah, yeah. That's my background, cybersecurity. So Hacker News is one of the things, anytime you get a zero day attack or something, a big hack, Hacker News is always there first. Yep, Hacker News is the best. It's Reddit without all the fluff. There you go. Without having to search a million channels and you know people using the screen to hide behind, right? So, what about uh like ethical considerations when it comes to growth marketing? Are there is there anything that the designers listening need to be concerned about when they go and they try to get their SEO up there or they try to run these campaigns? There's a right answer and a wrong answer, and then within each of those, there's like a gray area. I'm a capitalist. Like, I think do what works, do what generates marketing dollars. Like that should be your first prerogative when it comes to a marketing effort. Yeah. Like don't go out and hurt people intentionally in general, like follow the money. Legal is a little bit tricky because there are like ethical guidelines. You can't write things like best lawyer, right? You can't say I'm the best lawyer for you. You can't say things like I guarantee win your case with me. So the industry itself holds standards for something like legal. For other industries like e-com, I kind of think like it's everything's in play, so to speak. So yeah, that's pretty much where I stand on it. Yeah, I have seen that, uh, you know, a lot of the ad platforms, because like you said, everything is, is in play. They're catching up with that a little bit, like certain claims you can't make, especially Facebook ads. Like you can't say, hey, I guarantee you'll generate six figures because we've seen that play over and over and over again. So many coaches coming about saying, yeah, I guarantee that you'll get six figures in your business if you do these things, you know, and they're charging 10K or more, right? Because people are 10 to one. So I am seeing that. And I just recommend that if you're a designer listening, do not make those type of guarantees because you don't know, right? You do not know that it's going to work. Like my man, Bobby said, there is no one size fits all. So just because you had a great course that worked for a couple of your your clients does not mean. Now you can say, 
hey, we'll work with you until you hit that. And that's something that's loaded as well. So you just have to be careful, right? What claims you're making and then make sure that you have kind of like that catch all that saves you on the back end, that CYA, right? That cover your ass that's on the back end when it comes to legal. Yeah, you need some contracts. You don't have contracts. So what's next for Mean Pug Digital, man? What you got going on in the pipeline? Well, we're growing, man. We um doing a lot of branding where we got a couple of videos that we're going to be pushing out on YouTube, social media. So an eye out for that. Going to be sponsoring a bunch of events this year. So just trying to really improve our awareness, right? I think we're a little bit behind where we should be on that side of things. We focus so heavily on the servicing and making sure that what we're putting out there for our clients is like a best in class offering. We've kind of fallen behind on our own stuff. So just put in some TLC behind all that. But yeah, exciting stuff on like um, just improving the overall brand recognition and awareness. Absolutely. When it comes to sponsorships, how did you all go about selecting? What's your process for that? Selecting what you should sponsor? This falls under the try 50 things. Try 50 things. And like literally, we are going to be trying 50 bars. We're do. We're going to be sponsoring or putting ads in 50 state bars. So they do what they say, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they try literally 50 things. So we're going to shift a little bit to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. Are you ready, Bob? Let's do it. All right. So first question is, what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? What's been the hardest part? Probably telling my wife that I can't go on vacation. Absolutely. Speak a little bit about that, man, because, you know, we do these these shows and this show is all about filling back that curtain on entrepreneurial journey. So speak a little bit about, you know, how long it's taking you. I know you started, you've been at this for a while. How long until you like really started to see that inbound marketing take place where you didn't have to do all that outreach? So we launched in February 2020, which makes the whole question, like adds a whole layer to that question, right? COVID was the next month, started it next month, COVID. Um, When did inbound really kick in? Inbound really started kicking in probably about a year and a half ago. So I would say like a year to a year and a half. So I would say it was like a year and a half or so of like no inbounds, all outbounds before we saw any sort of inbound traction. And it's probably only been the last like eight to 10 months that we've seen like really significant inbound traction. So it's taken a while for that to kick in. Yeah, I just wanted to break those questions up because I hear people ask me that all the time. Like, hey, you've been at this for years. How long did it take you until you started getting clients coming to you? And that's really my answer. It's like, you try 50 things, like you said, and then slowly all those seeds you plant start to grow. And it seemingly seems like they start to grow all at once. So I just want to put it out there for the designers to keep going. Like if your business, if you are at a stagnant point, happens at Fort Tolerance, that you just stagnant, especially when you're first starting. So thanks for being transparent on that, Bobby. I appreciate that. There's no replacement for good work. If you do good work and you care about what you put out, you will get inbound because the people you're working with will recommend you. Like the absolute worst thing you could do and the only thing that will really kill your business is taking shortcuts and not caring about your work product. 100%. I wholeheartedly agree, man. 
So you've been an entrepreneur for a while. So the next question naturally flows. What is the best lesson you've learned so far in your entrepreneurial journey? That's really hard because I've learned about a lot of things. So like my breadth of knowledge has increased a lot. Just like, you know, I come from an engineering background. I wasn't exposed to the HR requirements in New York of running a company. But like, that's the type of knowledge that you have to onboard when you're doing this. Um, I've learned a lot of different things, but in terms of like the most valuable thing that I've learned, it's probably just like tenacity. I mean, we've definitely, as I'm sure you and pretty much everybody that's listening have come up against big obstacles as the business has grown. And every time one of those obstacles comes up every single time, there is like a decision. And that decision is, is it time to like scale down or is it time to like blow through this and continue scaling up? And every time I've made the decision to blow past it and continue to scale up, and that's why I am where I am now. So as of you, as is like everybody who's been successful in entrepreneurs. So that's probably the biggest single thing that I've taken away. I love that, man. Tenacity. Absolutely. I love that word. That says it in a nutshell, what entrepreneurs have to be, tenacious. So what are three tools or tips that you would recommend when scaling a business? Don't offload tasks for the reason that you don't want to do them. Like, There's a good reason to offload tasks, and then there's offloading them just because you don't want to do them. I would argue that you learn a lot from things that you don't want to do. Um, Second point in scaling a business, probably don't get lazy with HR and hiring. Like always have lines in the water to scoop up good talent. You're always going to have a, even if the person doesn't fit a role that you're hiring for today, either they can be transitioned into that role or you might have that need in six months, but it's always good to have those lines in the water. And number three might be a little bit niche to, to like my business, but I would say like always keep an eye on your unit economics right? Like, don't lose the forest for the trees. And just make sure that what you're doing makes sense in the short term and the long term from like a revenue and cash flow perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think that applies to everyone, right? It's exactly what you said, know the forest from the trees, and really know the difference between, you know, correlation and actually working, right? Maybe it's just a coincidence that this thing shot up, you know, at the same time you did something. So, Really pay attention to that and test, 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 especially when it comes to your marketing. Because like you said, there's a lot of things that's long-term, long-term perspective that don't work immediately. And especially now when this is climate, right? Economically and just the noise that's out there. So I think you hit it spot on for everyone who's listening. Totally. So how can people connect with you, man? I'm actually really bad on, on social media. So that kind of ironic, but well, you did say, you did warn us that all of your effort go into your clients. I also said, don't hire anybody who doesn't do this for themselves. So <laughs> there you go. There's two sides to that going. Just find me, Bug. We're around. You'll, you'll see us. Absolutely. The links will be in the show notes. Any last words that you would like to leave for the designers? Keep designing, keep creating, be innovative, think differently. Hey, Steve Jobs reference, my God. All right, Bobby, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Javon. 
Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.